Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 132. If you're interested on how philanthropy, charitable donations, nonprofits all fit into your exit plan, your tax plan, and your life after business and your sense of purpose, this episode's totally for you. Don't worry if you're thinking that this episode's gonna be about how you made a bunch of money, you should write a check to a nonprofit because you did so well and everybody should benefit. And it's also not about how in your life after business that you're gonna get complete fulfillment by sitting on a board of a nonprofit because it's so different than running a company and the adrenaline that comes with being an entrepreneur. This episode is specifically unique because Luther Ranheim, who's on the show today, he is a part of St. Paul and Minnesota Foundations, and their business model is super unique. And we address different topics like how do you pick a nonprofit or charity to be involved in? How do you determine whether you're getting a rate of return on the investment that you're putting into that charity and that you're making sure that you're not just paying a bunch of executive director salaries, but there's actually an impact that's happening because of the funds that you put in there. So a little bit of a background on Luther and the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. One is that if you're not from Minnesota, there's foundations like this across the U.S. that you can find one to and the same kind of structure and business model exists. So don't worry, this episode's still 100% applicable to you. So the St. Paul Minnesota Foundation manages over $1.5 billion in assets and they support more than 2,000 charitable organizations in Minnesota. And their role as it relates to you as the potential investor or philanthropist and the charitable organizations is super unique. So their role with the charitable organizations is to determine what is the purpose of the funds? What is the impact? How do we measure it? They're determining that this charity deserves this kind of money because they're gonna do this with it and how do we measure what impact they're getting? It's amazing because I think it's fantastic that someone's holding all these people accountable and giving the funds to the right people for the right reasons and they can then help you determine what are the places that you wanna put your money? Is it topic A, B, or C or is it X, Y, and Z? And then helping you guide how much you should be putting in there and why and what are they going to do with it. But the other really interesting thing that they help you do is they'll help understand the tax ramifications, how to put this in your exit plan, your estate plan, and then what are you going to do with the funds afterwards? But not only is this about giving, but with the sheer exposure that they have with the different topics and the different charitable organizations, they can help you connect the dots about what you care about and what kind of involvement do you want with these different people and these different charitable organizations. If you want to be directly involved and you really want to roll up your sleeves, they'll help you connect the dots versus just writing a check. The reason I think this is so important, which you'll hear in the episode, is after we sold, I was on a journey of trying to find some things that were really important to me, which is mental health and some other different topics and it was so difficult to find the people that I should be talking to the charities that actually wanted my help and our money and so Luther walks through all of those different things in this episode and I think that this is one of the first crucial steps that you can do to understanding how charitable donations fit into your tax and exit plan but then also 
How do you start finding a purpose outside of just running cash flow statements and growing the value of your company when you really can make a huge impact by rolling up your sleeves, putting your expertise and your knowledge and experience behind an organization and a, and a topic that you care about and potentially the funds that you got a tax write-off on and knowing that you can really, really make an impact. So without further ado, here's Luther Ranheim. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Good morning, Luther. How are you? Good. How are you, Ryan? Doing good. I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think it's a topic that uh, a lot of our listeners think about and maybe not at the right timing or they get information from different areas or there's, you know, different spectrums of level of understanding of literally what is philanthropy? Is it, you know, all the different ways that you can actually be given your money and involvement? And you guys have a very interesting model and a, and a lot of, a lot of experience. And for the listeners, before we kind of dive right into what you're doing now and some of the experience that you've had and what you guys are uh, trying to accomplish is kind of give us, like, how did you get into the nonprofit space and, you know, what, what led you to what you're doing today? Great. That's a great question, Ryan. So, you know, I think I, I come from a, a unique background. I spent the first half of my career working in financial services. I worked at a couple large local banks um, in their private wealth and trust areas uh, for about 10 years uh, right after college. So in that part of my career, I had the experience in working with families and managing their uh, trust concerns, all of their portfolios, and working with really high net worth individuals, business owners. Um, and I purposefully made a switch mid-career into fundraising and philanthropy uh, because I wanted to make a, a, a deeper impact in community and help our community thrive. Um, so I... Um, did a lot of the networking, realized that the skills I developed working in financial services were very transferable into fundraising. Um, so had the opportunity then to work with a number of local organizations over the past 10 years um, as a major gifts officer, plan giving officer, and individual giving where I'm working and interfacing directly with individuals, high net worth individuals and families to help them make an impact to organizations they care about, build a case, um, look for ways to uh, help them be more effective in their giving. And then ultimately, uh, join the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundations as a gift planner uh, just about three years ago. And um, in this role, I have the opportunity to uh, really help people uh, more broadly in philanthropy because I'm not raising money for a specific organization. I am helping people set up the apparatus to um, fulfill their philanthropic vision and um, amplify their giving in community. Um, and we do that by working with professional advisors. Uh, many of the people that you're working with and talking to, the advisors that serve uh, business owners as they're thinking about their exit are the same types of advisors I'm speaking with. Trust and estate attorneys, uh, financial advisors, brokers, CPAs, um, other exit planning strategists, and to let them know um, how we can serve their clients when they think about their philanthropic and charitable planning. So that's really where I have come from mm -hmm. and where I am now. So, and what I find interesting, well, for, which first of all, the, the financial background is super intriguing because it gives you a totally different, you know, perspective than just, you know, the, the, the traditional route into the space that you're in. And I, I'm curious, Luther, you know, what, 
you, you explain a little bit about the organization that you're with right now because of the the unique strategy that you guys have and the platform and i think it's just a little bit different than a normal you know single off charity where you're just you know having one specific cause exactly yeah so we are a, a new a unique charitable organization we are a community foundation the st paul and minnesota foundations are over 75 years old. Um, we are the largest community foundation in the state of Minnesota and the 13th largest out of 800 uh, community foundations across the entire country. Um, you know, we have deep roots in St. Paul, but we have partners across the state of Minnesota. Um, we are the largest uh, foundation in the state um, and a, really a key partner for the philanthropic community um, in many ways. We manage $1.5 billion in assets, and these assets are um, some left to the foundation over, over a number of years as unrestricted assets. And the uh, main thing that we do with those unrestricted assets is grant those into community to charitable organizations to make an impact across an, a wide area of need um, in key areas of impact in the community. So that's really the area we're best known for is making impact in community uh, by direct grant making to nonprofit organizations. The other area and the, the area of the foundation of which I am part of is our philanthropic services team. Um, and that is a group of individuals that are really um, focused on working with individuals and families and organizations to help them set up the tools to more effectively manage their philanthropy. So in my role um, and the work we do, we are uh, talking with uh, professional advisors, as I, I mentioned previously, um, and helping their clients set up what are known as donor advice funds. Um, and I'm happy to give you an overview of donor advice funds if that would be helpful as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I th we're definitely want to get into that. So what I was thinking, um, Luther, so we can kind of take this in a, in a good order for the listeners who, you know, and we, we were chatting a little bit before the show of, uh, you know, one of the things that as we get up into the actual techniques on, you know, the tax planning and how this actually fits into the, the mechanisms of actually selling your business. So we'll definitely get into that for the listeners. And, but I think even before that, you know, you and I were chatting about, you know, I just interviewed uh, Stephanie Breedlove and a couple other people, well, lots of people on the show and a lot of these entrepreneurs where there's this unique part of being an entrepreneur when you're in the business and you've got, you know, you've got a way to measure how you're doing. You know, you're acquiring clients, you're looking at the balance sheet and it's very, you know, you've got a lot of good feedback on how well you're doing at the economy and the, the customers are valuing you and what you do. And mm -hmm. the challenge with you know, maybe kind of we start this with like, what is, you know, your definition of philanthropy and how does that work? Because I know a lot of people in, you know, when we had the business, you're getting bombarded from everybody to just give money, right? So there's the, yeah. which is one thing, whether it's, you know, the local legion in the fire department, or if it's a, you know, you're you know, a nonprofit that's near and dear to your heart where you're writing checks versus, you know, so I think there's maybe this transition that entrepreneurs have from doing stuff like that where you're in the business and you've got a cash flow machine that you're just writing checks from to kind of migrating into, you know, the life after business of how do I measure what I'm doing, right? So, I, you know, the, the people want to feel good. And Stephanie even said the capitalist in her is misses seeing how she's doing. And so how do you, you know, in your definition, kind of give us your, over the different course of your, your career, you know, what is philanthropy and how how do we start tackling this issue of just writing checks to actually quantifying the impact that we're having? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, it, at the very root, the word philanthropy means the love of humankind. 
And so, you know, I think it's something much deeper than just writing checks to the local legion or uh, the Boy Scout troop or the, the people that are coming to you as a business owner and maybe asking you to support this silent auction event or a gala or the, you know, annual walk for a certain um, health uh, related issue or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of that that's very transactional giving. Um, philanthropy goes much deeper because it really drives as at, towards your passion as an individual. What has had an impact on your life, whether it's a school that you went to, whether it's your church, whether it's an organization that you have volunteered with, maybe it's a, a health issue that you or your family members have faced, that often drives a deeper connection to wanting to make a significant and meaningful impact. And so a lot of people don't think that they can be a philanthropist unless they have millions of dollars. I think often there's a, a notion that philanthropy is only for the uber wealthy. Um, and it's actually, I, I think philanthropy can be anyone that wants to make an impact. And even if they're giving, you know, five or $10 a month to an organization, but they're giving it from a place of, you know, great honor and respect for the organization that had an impact on their life and wanting to you know, make a, a gift that makes a statement, um, even if it's a small amount, can be philanthropy. And so, you know, that's, I think, been the greatest joy for me throughout my career is connecting with people and finding out what drives them. Why do you care about this cause? Why do you want to make an impact? You know, how can, how can we help you um, live out your passion through making uh, gifts to organizations in the community? So that's kind of the yeah, basic yeah. part of philanthropy. Well, and what I find it, it, I mean, literally like so many conversations I've had over the last even week of multiple times I'm sitting at lunch and, you know, the entrepreneurs sitting across from me is in their 60s. And they're like, yeah, I know I should probably start planning this or maybe I should sell, but I just don't know what I'm going to do afterwards and I don't know what I care about. So how, how do you, you know, what have you seen over the years like that allows the, you know, the fruitful creative experience of figuring out what you want to identify yourself with, but then how, what are the, what are the varying degrees of involvement, right? And some context behind that question is, you know, writing the check is one thing, but as, as entrepreneurs, I know we all have major control problems. And so what happens is, yeah. <laughs> you laugh at that, a degree, yeah. a degree of, okay, so I give this money, but I don't like how they're running it. I don't like how they're doing things or like, I don't know how to measure my impact. So there's the kind of the two different things of how to identify if I don't know what is important to me and what is possible and then to what degree of involvement is possible in those different things. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting question because oftentimes we see philanthropy follow involvement. So someone may be asked to join a, a board of a nonprofit organization um, by a friend or a colleague at work. And by just getting involved, oftentimes someone will go from not being a, a donor um, to becoming a significant supporter of the organization because they've embraced and took on the mission of that organization. And so for people that are entrepreneurial and want to make an impact and see that um, impact of their gift, oftentimes being on the board or volunteering in a meaningful way is a great way to connect with an organization, get to know the organization. And in a way, you're kind of doing the real-time due diligence and getting to know mm -hmm. who leads that organization, who benefits from the work of that organization, and how does that organization serve the broader community. And so that will then engender far greater um, connection and passion and support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nonprofit organizations need people that have business acumen and understanding to help them be more efficient, 
um, reduce <clears throat> overlap and drag in um, their expenses and make sure that they're efficiently delivering services and uh, impact in the community um, in a way that is commensurate with the support they're getting. And this is a big challenge in fundraising in general is <clears throat> oftentimes you hear these really bad horror stories about particular organizations who solicited donor dollars and the executives are getting paid millions of dollars. And, you know, as fundraisers, you know, it's our job to make sure that we uphold the highest ethical standards and that we're delivering results for our donors and make sure that they know that their donor, their, their dollars that they're uh, giving to an organization are going to be well used and well accounted for. And so, you know, that's, that's something that's key to the, to the industry and to effective philanthropy. And, you know, at the same time, understanding that it costs money to raise money. Um, so having that balanced understanding that if you want to raise significant dollars for an organization, it, you have to compensate the fundraisers at a, a fair level as well. Mm -hmm. And so these are huge philosophical uh, arguments about philanthropy and how fundraising works in community. But these are all important things. Yeah, and I think yeah. things that drive at people that are, are self-starters and have, are, are entrepreneurs and business owners that want to see under the hood and understand how it all works. Well, and okay, so I totally agree with uh, with what you're saying. You know, one of the and what really caught my attention is, you know, philanthropy follows involvement, and you know, a lot of the, like. So, is there? I'm just curious, like with with the sheer quantity of nonprofits that you end up working with, and like the good success stories of finding having an entrepreneur find passion in something what they're doing, and then being able to feel good about you know giving afterwards is. How do you like? How do you foster and like pull out what they're what they're interested in and what they should potentially be doing to identify which you know nonprofits or boards or you know what level of degree that they should be involved in? Because I was I interviewed I don't know if you're familiar with the Halftime Institute, um, they're, uh, they're they're kind of big on this whole success um, from success to significance, and it was more of like okay you had an IT company, you don't have to just go be on the board or give money. You can like literally go help them build their network or something. You know, just kind of identifying like literally what do you want to do in the involvement? Of yeah. So how do you, yeah. that out? that's, I mean, really it is about sitting down with people and having several conversations. Um, and so it's, it's a little different um, at the community foundation versus, you know, if I'm a major gifts officer for the a local um, cultural institution, like the orchestra, the opera, um, you know, in that role as a major gifts officer, um, I'm connecting with individuals and families over several meetings, over maybe sometimes up many years to drive towards making a significant philanthropic impact in that organization. And so it may start very small by <clears throat> just getting to know that donor and understanding you know, did you um, play uh, music as a kid? Have your kids played music uh, in schools? Why is music important to you? Why are the arts important to you? Why is arts education important to you? Um, so really um, having a purposeful conversation about, you know, what is it that drives you? Um, and then what are your talents and what are your interests and what are your skill sets? So if you're looking at involving someone um, as a volunteer in the organization, where can their talents and time be best utilized? And if you're looking towards uh, bringing in someone as a new significant donor to the organization, helping build such a strong connection that it's they they can feel really good about making a significant you know five or six figure gift to a, a particular organization because they know that it's their input has been heard. The uh, organization is investing those resources in a way that they are um, happy and proud of. 
so that they can turn around five years from now and be like, I funded that program and I've seen the impact that it had and I want to do it all over again or I want to leave a legacy to that organization because they've demonstrated that. So, yeah, it's a lot of like what we're doing you know, right now and what you're doing with uh, people as they're transitioning out of business is just having conversations and understanding yeah. what their passion is. Well, and which makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, there, there's some of the challenges that I see, Luther, which make, you know, what that's the ideal kind of situation that you talked about. But, you know, and well, there's a couple of different ways we can go with this. But, you know, a lot of the times and we don't have a lot of the times it's like, oh, my gosh, I sold. Now I want to mitigate taxes versus doing the, he the heavy lifting up front. And so, and I know, I know we're going to get into some of the tactical stuff on how to act because like, you know, all entrepreneurs want to save money on taxes, right? And so if we can, you know, do something else with the money that's beneficial, that's great, but it's not, I think it's not accomplishing the, the thing that's at the root, which, you know, even like in that, that example, that makes a lot of sense on how to find, okay, it's the, the, how do you find the charities that you're interested in? You know what I mean? Or the, mm -hmm. and also yeah. there's, there's the. There, there's it's less about the money i think half the times more about like the mm -hmm. these owners that have you know the whole kind of the title of the podcast life after business it's like what they want they want to be they want to be involved in something to have an identity to have people appreciate the value that they have in themselves as a talent so mm -hmm. how do you how do you fix that or how do you how do you line up all those stars you know, and I think that's where we're really uniquely situated as a community foundation in how we can work with individuals and families. You know, we're able to sort of sit down and we're not asking people to make a gift to a specific cause or program. We're, again, I think I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, setting up the apparatus, um, the tools and providing them the forum to make the impact. And, you know, that all comes back towards, you know, our work in community, because we are grant making and making uh, an impact in community as stewards of assets that have been left to the foundation over the years, we are able to transfer that expertise to our fund holders. So if someone wants to work with a, a community foundation, we can then help them through that very daunting process of identifying organizations that are doing great work, that are mm -hmm. making an impact and align with their mission, their vision and values and interests. And so, you know, that's probably one of the more rewarding right. parts of the work we do. And it's actually, I think, something that sets us apart as a community foundation from, you know, maybe larger uh, like a, the national uh, providers of donor advised funds like a mm -hmm. Vanguard or Schwab or Fidelity. You know, as a local community foundation with local people on the ground, we are able to sort of come together with our, our, our donors and help them be very purposeful about having that conversation uh, to drive at what organization or what, what's important to you? What, what, what are you interested in? What are your values as a family or an individual? And how can we match those um, values and interests? to help you almost create your own charitable mission statement, which then allows you to use that as a framework with our help to connect to organizations that we are able to lift up for you. Um, I, I think so, that's really interesting, Luther, because like, I think that that's one of the most daunting tasks out of all this stuff for, for entrepreneurs that are trying to identify with some, you know, some charity or nonprofit that is near, like, it's like, how do you find, it's like the, the matchmaking is the hardest part, not only for your interest, but then also, 
like, what if I said I wanted to like, you know, I would love operations and I want to help do that or I want to help raise money. Like mm-hmm. it's the, it's the passion, but it's also like the level of involvement. And other than just mm-hmm. pulling up Google or talking to other people, it's very difficult to figure out what are the ways to actually, you know, check a lot of the boxes that I want to accomplish as myself and my family. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. And I think it actually, um, it hampers people from being able to step forward and become a philanthropist and, and give and feel good about it because oftentimes maybe they get to a point where they've, you know, invested their entire life in building a business and thought about their business and how they wanted to transition that business, but they had never really thought much about philanthropy. Um, and so now they're at a point where, you know, it's life after business, the title of your podcast. What's next? How do I now turn and pivot towards a, a meaningful engagement in that next phase? And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to go and look on Google or try to say, oh, I, here's an interest of mine. I'm going to put it in Google and I'm going to get, you know, 100 organizations that are doing work in that space if I'm lucky. Um, but by partnering with a local expert, you know, in a community foundation, we're able to sit down and um, help understand, you know, are you, do you care about operations? Do you care about hunger or housing or arts education or racial equity? Um, and how can we help connect you with the organizations that are really moving the needle in that space? And the reason why we're able to be really confident in making those connections is because we're oftentimes putting our own foundation assets to work for those organizations. And actually, which is interesting because like just personal story, Luther is after we sold, this is going, yeah. So this is five years ago or no, four and a half years ago, right afterwards. And I was literally trying to figure out a way to get involved and no joke. I had a list of all these charities. I was calling people because I was like, I want to, not just sit on a board and, you know, you know, have meetings for meetings purposes, but like to use my skill sets because I wasn't going in every day and I didn't have all these things that I was putting all my experiences that I was able to put to work. And I had called, so mental health is very, very near and dear to my heart because I got family that are, that's, you know, mm-hmm. up on the different family trees that struggle with it. And I got the crazy entrepreneur uh, monkey brain instead of some other things. And I was like, you know what? I want to get involved and I want, I know the system's broken. And I had charities that literally wouldn't call me back. I'm like, my dad and I just mm-hmm. sold their business and like, I want to get involved. I want to help. No response. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. okay, here's me. My connections are money, like nothing. And it's just so, it's like, it's infuriating actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's frustrating because you, you were at a spot where you were ready to make an impact and um, you weren't getting the response that you'd hope you would. Um, and, you know, again, I, that's where it's oftentimes like business um, It's who do you know and who can you pick up the phone and call, um, mm-hmm. you know, and in that case, you maybe didn't have a network in the mental health field per se. But, you know, that's, again, where the community foundation, because of our connections in community, are able to say, here's people we know at these three or four organizations. Let's put you in touch with the right person at that organization mm-hmm. who's maybe looking for board members or the person who's looking for, you know, maybe some expertise around operations or streamlining uh, financials mm-hmm. or, you know, the ultimate charitable contributions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that's where we can take that step out of the, basically take out the middleman um, because, you know, obviously, obviously we have those connections as a, an organization and community and we can hopefully bridge that gap. So then you're not frustrated. You feel that you're having, you know, meaningful connections with people that actually take you up on your interest right. and get you involved. Yeah. 
Well, and yeah, you're, you're totally right. And it's, it's, you know, and I always think about the interesting dynamics because I've sat on a board before a couple of them and like, oh, there's like their inter- own internal politics of, you know, people protecting their, their little sandbox mm-hmm. and their salaries and they don't, you know, they feel threatened by other outsiders. And so there's just a bunch of unique dynamics, I think, that go into this whole play, which, unfortunately, which, which is all normal and all makes sense, but it's, it's, it, there's barriers to that entry and, and connecting the dots from the entrepreneurs, the, the, the sheer quantity, like you and I are talking about these boomers who are going to like, they're going to, we're going to have so much excess inventory of skill sets and knowledge and talent and money that doesn't have anything to do. So it's like, there's gotta be ways to connect all these dots because there's, there's significant amount of value that can be created in the whole transition. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. I, and I think there's a, there's a great need. There's, I mean, there's a never ending need for support for the nonprofit sector at large, um, uh, philanthropic support, uh, especially from individuals, you know, foundations and corporations are uh, constantly evolving the way they make impact in community. And so the nonprofit sector is continually looking more towards individuals and families to make that philanthropic impact. Um, and I think, you know, in today's times, the, um, Nonprofit sector also uh, it cannot rely on government funding to the levels maybe it had in the past. Mm-hmm. And again, so that's being pushed back t- towards individuals. So maybe one of the, you know, the silver linings of the coming baby boom, retiring, transitioning businesses, that significant transfer of wealth, hopefully will be that more assets can get deployed to the organizations in the uh, nonprofit sector where there are areas of great need. And then, you know, by involving uh, people in making gifts to those organizations, hopefully leveraging their expertise as well, whether it's by being board members or being advocates or going and reading to kids in a school um, or, you know, whatever it might be, utilizing your unique skill set to make an impact in a way that's broader than just giving money. So Luther, in that, you know, in those kind of situations as, as the transitions happen to these you know, these connections are being had, how, how do you track your return on the investment, whether it's the money or your involvement? Like I think that's, you know, other than just handing out a certain amount of meals or reading a certain amount of books, is there a way to like measure the impact that you're having in the specific um, niche that you are focused on? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a whole nother area of foundation work. And so it's kind of a little bit more out of my wheelhouse, the measurement and evaluation. But anytime a foundation makes a grant to a nonprofit, they want accountability. Um, and so often there is a required reporting um, that comes along with that grant. So if we you know, make a grant of $100,000 over two years to an organization, we're going to ask for a report on how is that money being spent and are the objectives that you set forth in that grant application being met. And so that gets into some significant metrics and evaluation. And we have an entire um, division at the foundations that's all about learning and evaluation. Hmm. And are our grants making in the intended impact? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if an organization demonstrates year over year that they're making the impact, they're driving change, they're achieving the objectives that they laid out in the grant application that resulted in our um, making a funding decision, they're going to continue to receive funding. At the same time, we also don't want organizations to be completely dependent on funding from one source. So mm-hmm. we also are not going to fund an organization forever just because they're doing great work. You know, we want to make sure that we're helping them, you know, learn to yeah, be self-sustainable, identify other sources. So taking that expertise in evaluation and looking at the return on investment 
of the, the, the grants that we're making, we're able to then share that expertise and understanding with people that we work with mm -hmm. um, as our fund holders. And so that's, you know, as part of the whole process that we work through on, you know, assessing interests and vision and values as a family, you know, once you've identified an organization that aligns with all of that um, and you make a gift, you want to see, did that gift actually get used? Mm -hmm. um, to drive the change that you were seeking or make an impact for the organization in the way you had hoped. So we are you know, very uniquely situated to help individual fund holders and families seek accountability and um, make sure that they are getting that desired ROI uh, on their charitable investment. Interesting. Well, it's it's interesting too, which makes a bunch of sense. And I'm like, I'm just kind of picturing because like <laughs> I've got a friend where he he just got called by a nonprofit for money, and he's like, all right, show me how, what like I like pretty much. <laughs> he's like, show me your financials, who's getting paid what, how much goes to the actual cause, and like, and he's just <laughs> tearing through that stuff. Yeah. That's what a lot of the people have the experience with. So does that team of yours, like they, they kind of go through the, I mean, literally like almost like a, a private equity firm would do for a business where they're like, Hey, you know, show me what you're doing. What are the, like, what's the maturity of like the, you know, your financials, the salaries, how are you measuring that stuff? And the ideas kind of go through a process like that, or do you lend help to them to do that? Or like, what's, what's that whole, like, it's super interesting. Right? Yeah. Multiple levels. I mean, any organization that applies to the foundation for a grant is going to have to go through, we're going to do some due diligence on that organization. We are going to review financials. We're going to look at who their executive team is, who their board is, and um, look at the programs that they've been delivering. And then we also do site visits. We'll go talk to that organization and get to know who they are and what they're trying to do. Um, and sometimes we'll meet with an organization. I mean, we get thousands more grant applications at the foundation than we're ever able to fund. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, part of what we're doing is going out and doing site visits, getting to know organizations. And our program officers at the foundation are really the, just the most expert in this work. And that's why they do this work is they... They know these organizations. They go out. They know the questions to ask to assess their viability, mm -hmm. um, their their health. And sometimes they'll say, you know, look, we think that you might be a great organization to receive funding from us in the future. But here are the five steps that we would recommend you implement over the next Super cool. two to three years. And then also, we oftentimes, if we think an organization has that potential, we will fund capacity building. So then we mm -hmm. will invest in the organization actually developing that infrastructure, whether it's fundraising infrastructure, whether it's accounting, what you know, whether it's um, specific program expertise. Mm -hmm. So we do different types of grant making here, whether it's program related to uh, in a specific initiative or whether it's basic operations or capacity building. So, you know, we try to understand where organizations are trying to get to and fund them at the right time in their life cycle. Super cool. That's awesome. Yeah, um, and, I'm, you know, as we're kind of shifting into this tactical kind of part of the conversation, and I know a lot of the, the listeners are going, okay, well, how do I use, I'm, I'm agreeing on a lot of this stuff. Now, how do I use and mitigate my taxes and use charitable donations or philanthropy as part of my exit plan and mm -hmm. my my legacy afterwards and to kind of tee up and get some context of that part uh luther in the growth the five growth and exit planning principles and the process that we have the second you know so the first one is the vision of the business like what do you want from the business is it legacy disrupted industry everybody's got their own why for their business the second one is your financial targets and so this is used as the foundation to be able to peer all the different exit options or the different things in 
in per, and put it in perspective. So, you know, it's like, okay, what's your target? You know, you, you used to do this in the back in the financial industry, right? What's your target passive lifetime income? And then you back mm -hmm. in net worth balance sheet and understanding how your business fits into that, which, and the reason I'm kind of giving this context is because once you've identified those big targets, then you might understand like, Hey, I don't need this much for the business or, uh, you know, anything above and beyond this is going to go to the, you know, to the gut state or the federal government, or, you know, there's gotta be gift and family estate planning involved in this so that you start, once you've got that foundation under, you know, understanding, then you can start adding additional dots and, and um, bricks on top of that foundation to do different things like what you're talking about. And so I'm curious that maybe you can kind of set the landscape on the different kind of technical ways and then kind of rally back yeah. and forth to the different uh, ways that we've seen things go good and bad. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a great question. And, you know, that's really where, you know, oftentimes people come to us because they've had that conversation about their why and their financial targets and through uh, the advice of their outside advisors, they've come to realize that they are going to um, yield far more than they ever dreamed of in the sale or transition of a business. You know, the most common thing that happens to us is we talk to an advisor and their clients post-sale. Uh, they come to us and they say, you know, we sold our business this year. We have a huge income tax liability. We want to offset that by making a gift into a donor advised fund. And we're happy to help them. Um, and it's a, a great uh, thing to do and help them set up that fund to um, you know, start um, living out their philanthropic goals. But I think the big you know, area of, um, I guess, lack of understanding in the community is that if we know about a exit plan and can be a partner with professional advisors and their clients as they're you know, three to five years out from an exit plan, we can make philanthropy part of that strategy. And the, the best way to do that is, and, and I think where this, the foundation is uniquely situated, uh, is we're able to receive non-cash assets into donor advised funds. And so maybe just quickly, a donor yeah, advised say, fund for those. I was, I was just going to say, why don't you give your, your, the basic overview of a donor advised fund and how it's used and everything. So I, I probably just interrupted you about to do that. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, a donor advised fund, you know, for, for lack of a better kind of phrase, is like a charitable checking account. You're basically setting aside uh, a pool of assets that will be earmarked for charitable giving. And there are a number of uh, people that offer uh, donor advised funds in the marketplace. Large financial institutions offer donor advised funds. Religious organizations offer donor advised funds. Higher education institutions offer donor advised funds. But then community foundations, um, it's really where we shine because of our localized expertise and connection, um, our highly skilled team um, that really is able to help advise our donors um, on impact and community. And so a donor advised fund is basically established by making a gift to a charitable entity, in this case, um, a, found, a community foundation, and the foundation then stewards those assets, and you retain the right to recommend grants from that fund over the next several years or all in one year. Sometimes people will set up a donor advised fund in one year and um, grant out all of the assets from that fund in one year. Other times, as part of a business sale, People will, you know, put $150,000, half a million, million dollars into a donor advised fund, and they'll use that as their charitable giving pot of money for the next 10, 20 years. Um, so it allows people to uh, make a, have the tool to make charitable impact on their time horizon 
Um, but what's nice is it allows you to take the charitable deduction all in the year you make a gift into the fund. So okay. if you had a huge tax year this year and you want to offset that with a $100,000 gift, you can uh, deduct that up to the extent allowable by your tax situation from your taxes and then um, recommend grants from that over the next number of years. And we often see this come into play toward the end of the year. In December, it's really the busiest time of year for us. People coming to us and saying, hey, I want to make a, a gift. I need to make it. My, my CPA told me I need to make a charitable gift by year end, but I don't know who to give to. So I want to just set up a fund with you guys, and then we can figure it out all later. So they're able to quickly yep. make that gift. And then um, from there, tell we can start working with them uh, over the intervening years. So in that donor advised fund then, so because, so you're saying that, you know, you can have real estate, whether it's your, you know, shares of your business or whether it's um, actual cash or stocks or bonds. I mean, so that's pretty much any asset that you, that is underneath your umbrella of your net worth. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, what's unique is, I mean, often traditionally donor advised funds are found uh, funded with cash gifts and stock gifts. But, you know, again, where we're, we're able to sort of step out and be a more in-depth advisor and part of that transition is that we're able to accept non-cash assets into donor mm-hmm. advised funds. Mm-hmm. So S-Corp, C-Corp, real estate, LLCs, commodities. Um, we've accepted uh, highly depreciated farm equipment into a donor advised fund mm-hmm. and then conducted the sale. Um, we've accepted soybeans. And um, more recently, um we've accepted our first gifts of cryptocurrency uh, into donor <laughs> advice funds. That's awesome. So a couple, so I'm super interested in this as the tactical parts of, you know, and this is why doing this ahead of time, it makes it such a big difference. Cause you know, if you're, there's a interview for the listeners with Ryan Turbis, where we were talking about calculating net proceeds, you know, years in advance as you're t- looking at your sale where it's so like, in our sale, we had a you know a thirty-five or twenty no I'm sorry twenty-five thousand square foot building in Minneapolis, which is near your guys' place. And then there's the bit the business, there's inventory, and there's all these different things where if you're able to you know if you're able to give it to and gift it to the donor advised fund, you you know whether it's capital gains or depreciation recapture or ordinary income, how can you explain the write-offs and then also how does that happen when it goes over to you? What, what are the different tax implications or lack of with what you guys get based on what it currently was in the owner's um, uh, portfolio? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're working with a, a complex asset, a non-cash asset gift into the donor advised fund, um, you know, we're obviously the, the most important thing to, to know is that we have to be far out ahead of the sale. Because if um, if it's too close in time to the sale, uh, the IRS could actually look back at a contribution of a non-cash asset into a donor advised fund and disallow that um, mm-hmm. that transaction. Uh, so that's why we need to be out in front of a sale and having the conversation with a business owner, you know, two to three years ahead of time. So if a professional advisor is working with their business owner client and they start saying, you know, I'm thinking of selling in the next couple of years. You know, I, I'm concerned about my legacy. I'm looking for uh, a way to make an impact um, after the sale, maybe use some of the proceeds of that sale. Um, you know, we would be happy to have uh, be part of that conversation because then we can start talking about the whole process. And it's a fairly significant process because we're going to do a lot of due diligence on the front end as part of that um, potential gift of non-cash assets into a donor advised fund. So we're going to want to look at the financials. We're going to want to look at governing documents of the organization. We're going to want to look at any uh, pending agreements they may have. 
and we're going to do our own due diligence and legal review to make sure that we can actually accept it. You know, in the case of uh, the best way to illustrate this is, you know, if someone has a piece of property that used to have a gas station on it, we would, uh, you know, that might be a, a challenging property for us to accept because it could have significant environmental concerns and remediation issues. You know, but if it's a it's a lake cabin or it's a industrial property where you know we can assess the environmental readiness of the property to be transferred and realize we're not going to take on liability, um, you know, it smooths that process out. But that's part of the due diligence because ultimately the foundations are going to become a owner in that asset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're a buyer. And, you're a normal buyer, yep. <laughs> yep, even though you're exactly. giving, you know you're getting it for free. Technically, I mean, you're you're a buyer taking on all the responsibilities and the and the the liabilities of it. Exactly, and so we don't want to end up having an asset that will um, be a negative detractor to the foundation's net assets. Um, and so we're going to do that due diligence to make sure that we're accepting an asset with the ultimate goal of what's the marketability of that asset? And so this is part of the whole conversation because when we accept an asset into the donor, into a donor advice fund, we're not accepting it with the intent to hold it for the long term mm-hmm. because a closely held business asset, we can't turn around and make $250 grants of that asset, um, of the proceeds of that asset in the community until we've sold it. Mm-hmm. So really our intent is as part of the due diligence to assess the market value along with you. And so if a, a business mm-hmm. owner is looking at the marketability and potential for sale, um, you know, we're going to want to understand that too. Are there buyers that you know of or types of people or a market for this asset? Because if we also identify an asset's not marketable, we probably wouldn't be able to accept it. Um, and so, which makes sense. But, um, and so then, you know, once we're able to um, understand that there is a market for it um, and we've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's on the due diligence, we're going to accept that asset and then look to turn around and sell that as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because that's how we then turn that asset that was maybe illiquid for you into your charitable fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can start really having the impact and using what was your closely held business now to make an impact in community. So a couple of cool things that I, I want to dive into is, so one is like when the assets move over there, let's say there's distributions or rent income or any of that stuff coming out of that. Is that immediately go to you guys or does the owner get to reap some of those benefits or is it completely out of their portfolio once it's over to you guys? It would depend on the structure. Um, you know, we would work with them if there is a significant income stream coming. You know, we would maybe realize that for the, a brief holding period if we held on to the asset for a month while a sale's happening. But again, then if we start um, looking out even further and digging in, we have a concern about UBTI, unrelated business taxable income. Um, and as a charitable foundation, we can't receive um, that type of income for a period of time. So we have certain concerns about liquidating an asset and getting out of, out of our um, portfolio and turning it into equity you know, assets rather than holding it and receiving that business taxable income. Because then again, the IRS will come down on us as a 501c3 charity um, because we're not in the business of uh, running a, you know, a rental, uh, a commercial rental uh, apartment group or something to, to along those lines. So then when you're selling, um, which makes a bunch of sense. So, and then when, so when you're going to go sell those assets, let's say it's a fully depreciated bunch of equipment or like, or even, you know, a very low basis business and whether it's a stock or an asset sale and stuff like, what is the tax structure or lack of for you guys? So there's erosion to the government or like explain kind of how that whole thing works. Yeah. So, I mean, the most important part, and it's part of accepting an asset is we're going to request and work with the um, owner 
for a fully qualified appraisal of the asset. And that's really going to set the baseline for the taxability and the treatment of that um, asset um, on that individual business owners or families um, taxes. So the biggest piece is if it's a very low basis asset and they have, you know, maybe they started the, uh, the company out of their, their garage for, and have a $10,000 basis and now it's $10 million, you know, that's a significant capital gain issue they're looking at. By contributing the asset into the donor advice fund, they are basically stepping away from that capital gain issue mm-hmm. because of step up in basis with the charitable gift. And so that's why this is a, a, an attractive um, alternative as part of a business transition is it's of avoiding capital gains. Mm-hmm. The other nice part and that's sort of the double win here is then when they file their income taxes, they are able to then take a fair market value deduction on the appraised value of that gift on the year they made the gift. Well, and so here's what I find, and this is kind of just totally affirms what you and I are talking about like a couple of years in advance as you're kind of putting this jigsaw puzzle together where I look at like what we did with our business operation sale and then the building, like at some, I mean, just the sheer quantity of taxes that you pay is just insane. And we're, you can literally, there's got it with your CPA and your tax attorney and your helpers, you know, someone on our team or any, anybody on the team should, and there's going to be have to, lots of people that say, okay, there's a tipping point that says you can give this much of your business stock or your building or whatever it is where that gift directly offsets the taxes that you'd pay where literally it's either the same or you're making more money while giving it to you guys instead of to the government. Exactly. That's right on. I mean, I, and I think that's what oftentimes surprises people is that, you know, if they just even add that charitable component, they're probably actually going to end up pocketing more money more, on the right? sale right. than they would have otherwise. Yeah. Cause like, I think about like, I mean, cause you guys, you guys get the asset, you guys then get to sell it. So you guys get profit, you know, you get profits and liquidity from it, but then that gets, should be offset. That fair market should be completely offset. Like, like if we would have given you our building, we could have offset mm-hmm. on the other taxes that we paid on the asset sale, which was ordinary income. <laughs> so like, Yes, exactly. Yep. It's a win-win. Uh, I mean, and that's the thing why I, I love talking about this to advisors in the community that I, I connect with on a regular basis, because I think, a lot of people don't realize that this is a tool that can be leveraged. Um, right. But when it is, it is leveraged to such positive outcomes for mm-hmm. the individual, the advisor who works with the individuals, and ultimately, it's the community. Right. You know, making that impact in community and all the stuff that we talked about previously about philanthropy and how people engage and understand organizations. I mean, this is the best possible outcome where someone can see this all come together, have a successful sale of their business, make sure their family's taken care of, but also make a, you know, set up that apparatus from that business sale to make a, a longstanding commitment uh, to bettering the community. Well, and if you think about it, Luther, with some, you know, foresight on this, it's like, you could say, because like, you know, for the listeners, when you're kind of trying to reverse back into, so if you want 200 grand a year in passive income, then you need 5 million bucks in the market at, you know, chugging away at 7%. So then you say, okay, well, what does my business need to be worth net in order to, you know, solve that equation or something of those lines? If you set up this whole situation, you can, you can understand what you can what you can afford to give away and or to make sure that you're still hitting your nut, but then able to work with someone like you, Luther. And what I, not only is that financially make a bunch of sense for tax purposes and like the whole strategic planning that, but what I find 
even a layer uh, above that more intriguing about this is the weirdest dynamic of selling your business for for us or for a lot of these entrepreneurs is your business has usually funded your charitable donations, right? So if I think about it, mm -hmm. we had you know very large vendors and clients and stuff like that. So when we wanted to go like make an impact, we just shake the trees of all the people that owe us favors, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we yeah. and then we and then we get, and we give money ourselves. We do a big golf tournament, whatever. And so all that stuff makes a bunch of sense. But when you sell your business, you're like, I need this money, so I'm not going to give it away. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, you kind of you you lose your platform to be able to give. Yeah. So with this, if yeah. you were to like shift it over and, you know, still hit your financial targets, but, you know, with your, with your donor advised fund, like you can literally give yourself another platform to still have control over something instead of going in, like just becoming a, you know, a sideline participant. Yeah. And then most importantly, you have now a platform for um, multi-generational family philanthropy. Um, a donor advised fund allows you an op opportunity to engage your kids and or grandkids in philanthropy. Um, and then the most important part, even aside from that, is legacy. Because a donor advised fund is ultimately a great companion piece to an overall estate plan. So if you're looking to leave a charitable component through your estate plan, you um, can work to create a uh, provision where your estate plan pours into your donor advised fund and then over time, as your philanthropic interests may change, you identify new needs in community, you're able to tweak your donor advice fund every time you want to update your uh, philanthropic interests and passions. You don't need to update your estate plan every single time you uh, identify a new charitable interest. Um, so it's, uh, there's a lot of other you know, far greater benefits towards setting up an apparatus that allows for multi-generational uh, family philanthropic planning but also what's your ultimate legacy and how do you want to leave an impact? And maybe it's a perpetual impact where your donor advice fund is going to make grants into this community far after you're gone. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's a provision where you're going to spend, uh, you, you're going to make stipulations that your donor advice fund is spent down to uh, zero by within 10 years of you passing. So there's you know areas then where we're able to really have a very in-depth conversation about how do you want to leave a legacy? How do you want to, um, to be remembered? How do you want to support this community when you're no longer around? And, you know, if you've been a pillar of the community with your business and you've been making an impact and mm -hmm. supporting the golf tournament and doing these charitable things your whole life, why wouldn't you want to have a structure to, to do that after you're no longer around? So, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and I'm curious if you got, as we're kind of wrapping up here, is there is there like a really – Maybe if you want to highlight something that we've talked about or you know, kind of your big takeaway or maybe even tell us a story of like a good situation that like someone pre-planning or they kind of just paint the picture and how should this, how should someone look at this and what are the kind of the steps that they should do and whether it's a story you tell or, you know, do you want to highlight something you've already said or something that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned earlier that it's, I don't think people realize that this is something that they can do. Um, a lot of people don't think of themselves, first of all, as philanthropists. Um, a lot of people who have spent their entire life and blood, sweat and tears building a business have really focused solely on that. So they've maybe never thought about the philanthropic impact they could make. Um, and so I think you know, letting people know and getting that word out. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want to communicate is that there is a way to um, make philanthropic planning and philanthropy part of a business uh, exit to benefit the community and benefit yourself and 
you know, ultimately feel really good about what you've done. You know, we've worked with several individuals and this is, you know, we, we this past couple of years, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of individuals who have done this exact thing and being able to sit down with a family as thinking about transitioning a business and with their advisors and present this philanthropic tool to see their eyes light up uh, and to see them say, wow, I never even knew I could do that. And to see the possibility and the gears start turning as to, oh, wow, I can do this, I can do that, and you can help me with this, you know, uh, especially around the, the strategy and, you know, making an impact in a strategic, meaningful way. You know, that I think is just the most exciting thing to see. And mm-hmm. so, you know, looking for opportunities for advisors uh, to, um, you know, invite us in as a philanthropic um, expert, you know, that's really where we sit. You know, we are a community foundation. We're, you know, we're a nonprofit organization. So at the end of the day, you know, any fees that we collect as part of any of these processes and any money we make is being invested right back into the community. Mm -hmm. And we're we're not, um, you know, we're not charging a, a fee to come out and advise and have a conversation. So i I think the number one takeaway is that if anyone uh, that you're talking to, anyone that might be hearing this podcast is uh, is working with a family that's thinking about exiting a business in the coming years, they should at least um, invite us in to have a conversation to talk about the possibilities that might be present uh, from adding a charitable component to a business transition. You know, and I, yeah, and even if for some reason someone's going, I'm still not really sold on it, which I don't know how you really could be after your your comments but the you know the if you really bring it down to the the brass taxes like you could literally give a donor advised fund money instead of giving to the government and still net the same amount of money so it's like just if there's any other reason other than the fact that they would rather allocate the money to someone like yourself instead of the government just think about it right and it's yeah right it's just yeah exactly Yep. And then, you know, we take that, that mystery away from philanthropy because, you know, a lot of people are daunted. We talked earlier uh, about how you just don't even know where to begin. If you want to make a gift to an organization that align, aligns with an interest, you're kind of left to your own devices oftentimes. And, you know, we exist for the sole purpose of helping broaden philanthropic expression and engagement mm-hmm. in our community. And that's, you know, that's the greatest gift that we can leave behind and the legacy we can leave is uh, making that impact. Well, and and then for the listeners who are like, it, it, in order to think about the the fun things, like get your M and A, so merger and acquisition CPA and tax and um, an M and A attorney, understanding what is the deal structure that you want to sell. So whether it's an asset or a stock sale and whoever it's going to be sold to, you know, get that stuff rock solid or a good understanding before sitting down because you want to know what it, like what what do you have to work with. Or most of the time, yep. people don't have a, a clue because. Like even the stories that you've even said, like my CPA told me I've got to give something. And I guarantee you it was in, you know, November, the CPA told <laughs> the, the, um, mm-hmm. the or, or the owner or the owner wasn't listening to the CPA, you know, like 12 months ago when the CPA was saying, so what happens is there's a sort of disconnect of this planning where it's like sit down and actually start running some forecasts because then they, they'll actually know what they've got to work with for like a company like yeah. yours. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, hopefully we can be a resource to help achieve that ultimate vision and, uh, you know, see people, um, maybe there's their eyes open to an opportunity that they never thought they might have had. So if uh, someone is in a different state that's listening to this, um, what are other organizations like yours that are across the U.S. that, you know, they should start reaching out to if they don't want to give to St. Paul, Minneapolis? <laughs> 
St. Paul and Minnesota foundations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, no, any, pre- yeah, yeah, pre- <laughs> no problem. Um, so I would say that um, if there are if people in any States, your local community foundation is often a great resource. Most large community foundations across the country are adept in this type of work. And so I would suggest that they contact their local community foundation, but also um, we have a good network here. So I, I oftentimes will field calls from people and they're looking for uh a community foundation like ours in another part of the country, and we're um, we're able to connect them with our peers because obviously we're in this space. We're yeah. talking to our peers and colleagues across the country. So you know, even a call to us uh, and to me at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundations, I would be able to point people the right direction. So if they want to reach out to you, what is the best contact way, and what do you prefer? Yeah, um, you know, the best way to reach me is um, either by phone or email at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundations. I'll give out my, my, my direct line at the foundation is 651-325-4206. And my email address is luther, L-U-T-H-E-R dot Ranheim, R-A-N-H-E-I-M at S-P-M-C-F dot org. And I would be happy to... Uh, Visit with anyone on the phone, meet for coffee or for lunch um, to talk about the particular situation they're looking at and see how we could uh, we could lend a hand. Luther, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. Ryan, I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and look forward to being a resource going forward for you as well. If you made it all the way through the episode, I appreciate you sticking in there. I hope you actually took some major takeaways from this episode with Luther. Here are a couple of my big takeaways and some action items for you. One is because we're all money-driven, we all are entrepreneurs, and we have a specific drive towards optimizing what we've done, try and figure out that if you're going to have a large tax burden from selling your real estate or your business, try and figure out if you can give that money to someone else and you can write that off and you can net the same amount, it's a no-brainer. So don't give it to the government, give it to someone else that can use it for better purposes. The second big takeaway is that I don't expect any entrepreneur to be completely satisfied with writing a blank check or to take a more passive role on the board of a charity. Those two things are extremely necessary and everybody should think about whether that's right for them. But I also know from all the entrepreneurs that I know, we're action-oriented, we're passionate people, and we want to be valued and use all the experience and knowledge that we've accumulated for running in the businesses that we have. So really trying to figure out what topics are really near and dear to your heart. How can you really make an investment of time and energy and experience into something that where you can really move the needle, whether it's education or mental health or healthcare, or you want to actually provide a specific operational function at one of these charities, All of those things are possibilities, so start pulling the thread with an organization like Luther's and really give yourself the freedom and the time and the effort to be able to explore what you like and what you don't like. You don't have to make it a decision right off the bat. So two takeaways, financial ramifications of the tax plan and how this could work for you and your philanthropy. The second one is your purpose and the role and responsibility that you have in the philanthropy world, the charitable donation world, and making sure that you find what is working for you and near and dear to your heart. If you enjoy this episode, share it with a friend, go on to iTunes, give me a rating. If you have guests that you think would be awesome for the show to share their exit stories or to share a technical piece of advice around growing and exiting a company, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, onto my email, all the contact information is on our GEXP Collaborative website. So with that, I will see you next week.